0: Welcome, learners and learn it alike, to help teach. Hello, and welcome to our community audio project. I am your host, editor, producer, and project co lead, Mihai Kovasar. I am also a youth living with a physical disability. My most formative experiences living with a disability have come in the Canadian public education system. Many students like me with physical, emotional, or mental challenges go through their years of schooling lacking the supports and accommodations they need to partake of the same opportunities offered to their peers. The vision of this project is to provide educators in Canadian classrooms, students with disabilities, and members of the general public with the tools and knowledge that they need to make our institutions more accessible and inclusive for all. Join me and a diverse cast of guests as we explore perspectives on disabilities in education in this podcast series. One last message for you teachers tuning in. Listen in each episode for our key takeaway that you can implement in your classroom today to help us further this vision. Hello and welcome back to Help Teach. Today I am joined by a guest who is a local to the town in which I grew up and they have a fantastic project going on that I would love to tell you all about. Just before we get into all of that though today and into a discussion about the parts of the advocacy process that can help make everything run as smoothly as possible, I'd love to turn it to my guests to introduce themselves. Hello and welcome to the show, Melissa Grasmick.
1: Hi, Mihai. Thanks for having me.
0: It's great to have you here. So Why don't you just start by telling us a little bit about yourself and maybe about uh, your daughter, who I'm sure will come up in conversation here, but just to introduce yourself to our guests and whatever you'd like to let them know about.
1: Great. So my name is Melissa Grasmick. I have lived in West Kelowna for just over six years now with my family. Um, My husband, Ryan, daughter, Julia, and son, Tanner. Julia just turned nine, and she is living with a physical disability. She has a spinal cord injury that happened at the age of 17 months. So she was just a little toddler when it happened, and she is a manual wheelchair user, and she's a great kid.
0: Awesome. Yeah, she definitely is. I had the pleasure of going on a little walk here in town with uh, Melissa and with Julia. And, you know, I I have to say Julia reminds me a lot of myself when I was young in a lot of ways. Definitely has the advocacy gene, hey?
1: She is a spunky and uh, let's say charismatic little girl,
0: that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we have a number of experiences and projects to tackle here, but of course, this show is dedicated to education and to experiences in education. So briefly, how has your experience been with Julia in school, seeing as she has, you know, had her condition for as long as she has? She started school that way. How has that experience been for you?
1: Overall, I think we have been very fortunate to have a really great uh, set of schools, like both her private preschool that she attended for two years, along with her current elementary school, Marjak Elementary. We really have been fortunate over the years because I have heard horror stories from other parents, you know, throughout the province, just not having that good experience. So I am you know, aware of the fact that it could be much, much worse. Um, (laughs) And so, you know, and she's thriving in school. And I think it's a combination of some great teachers, great leadership at the schools, and also some advocacy work by me to make sure that everything is running smoothly. So it really has been a team effort.
0: Yeah, for sure. So the elementary school for those guests uh, listening, I guess I haven't spoken about this on the show before. So it's a good place to start. The elementary school that I went to, is very close to the site of a current project that you're working on, which we'll get to in just a moment. So I went to a school called George Pringle Elementary here in West Kelowna. And uh, as a couple of schools, I think, in the region, it used to be a high school before it was converted into an elementary school. And that, in a sense, nowadays shouldn't be saying much. But, you know, what it meant for the time in which it was built is that it's a school on two levels. Two levels, but unfortunately has actually two sets of staircases that you need to take to get up to the second floor. There's almost like a mezzanine level. And so as a student with a fairly mild mobility impairment, not a wheelchair user, that was okay for me, though tiring on even my good days. Oh, and it has no elevators. So I couldn't imagine what it would be like to be a a student in a wheelchair trying to attend that school. I mean, obviously, you'd be stuck basically on the first floor. But yeah, definitely not all schools are created equal, so to speak. I'm glad to hear that, at least in your experience, it was more pleasant. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Marjok also has two levels, but there is an elevator. And Julia's classroom is on the second floor this year. So fortunately, besides the days of when the elevator breaks down, she is able to get to her classroom on the second floor.
0: Yeah. So as I mentioned, a part of your advocacy work, probably the the biggest name in the game right now, is a project that you're building Fairly close to George Pringle Elementary here in West Kelowna, and it's called Julia's Junction. I would love for you to tell our guests about what that is, what inspired it, and what you plan to do.
1: Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, Julia's Junction um, is a very special project. It is soon to be West Kelowna's very first fully inclusive and fully accessible community playground. At present, there are no playgrounds that are accessible to um, a wheelchair user not a single one, which is totally unacceptable in my opinion, which is why I set out to spearhead this uh, development of Julia's Junction. And so one of the key points that I just want to make is that it's not just for wheelchair users. This playground is an inclusive playground, which means it's for everybody, those with or without a disability. But we wanted to make sure that we created a really special space that was for everybody that does have a disability, whether it's physical, emotional, social, cognitive, really there's quite a wide variety of different um, challenges that kids and adults alike live with. And so we just wanted to create a space where there wasn't any family out there that said, oh, well, we can't go to Julia's Junction because it doesn't have this, for example, a fully fenced space. So that's what we're you know, set out to do.
0: That's outstanding. You know, for me, one of the things that reminded me most of myself in what I saw in Julia was as we were walking together a couple of days ago, we stopped by a park. And it's that conversation, right, of I want to go up there. Well, you know, you can't really get up there. But I can. I know I can. I just need, you know, some kind of maybe a hand or maybe, you know, I just need a little bit of help. And I'm sure I can. And that's a very familiar conversation to me. I it very much... Reminded me of of when I was a kid, I did that all the time. Like, hey, I want to go do that. Well, you can't do that. Well, (laughs) let let me tell you. (laughs) Watch me. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Whether it's a CA or a teacher or uh or my parents, it's like uh, let me let me show you. So this is pretty exciting that there's a you know a playground that you don't have to have that conversation about just let me try. It's just like I can just go in and, and have some fun there, right? Absolutely, yeah. So this kind of a project doesn't come from nothing, (laughs) doesn't, uh, it's not an easy undertaking. So first of all, I would love if you would tell us a little bit about what the park does include to make it inclusive, because I'd love for our guests to hear a little bit about the gamut of equipment or experiences that a student might want to have at such a playground, and then maybe a little bit about what it took to get it off the ground in the first place. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. So Julia's Junction, um, it's about a 13,000 square foot playground footprint. And like a lot of other playgrounds that you see, there are a combination of swings and spinning equipment, rocking equipment, climbing. We um, have a custom structure right in the center of the playground with a, a giant slide that's It's from six feet off the ground. It's probably six feet wide. It's this huge, big slide, very inclusive. You can slide down with your friends together. So it has all of the components of a typical playground um, and then some. So one of the most important things that makes it fully inclusive and accessible is the surfacing. Many uh, typical playgrounds have either the wood chips or the pea gravel and obviously those don't work well for anybody with any kind of physical uh, mobility issue. Also, kids or adults with various cognitive disabilities, those sort of loose fill type of um, surfaces aren't aren't good for them because they might try to put it in their mouth, they might um, trip over it, you know, if somebody has a vision impairment. So there's just so many reasons why a unitary surface such as what we are using, which is a combination of poured in place, rubber, artificial turf and concrete.
0: Interesting. All right. So it's meant to be inclusive, first of all, in a, obviously physical access, but then also in a tactile way, in a visual way, It's it's meant to be, I presume, sort of cohesive, easy to navigate, right, without having to be tripped up by all kinds of different signals.
1: Yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, you know, we want to make it easy for people to find where they need to go once they're inside the park. We have different colors of the poured in place rubber for sort of different areas of the playground. So, you know, for example, people know, okay, I'm in the purple rubber. So I'm in the swing section. Um, oh, okay. So, you know, we tried to make it look aesthetically, you know, appealing as well as functional. We just want people to be able to feel really comfortable when, you know, they're there and not feel at all nervous or uh, apprehensive about, you know, how do I get to the next section? Or am I going to trip over this? Or, you know, things yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Well, that that's awesome. You know, as I mentioned, my experience as, as a kid, there were a lot of these kinds of play places or events put on in the community at, at parks and that kind of thing where, it's very much that talk of friends of mine are doing this, which is why I want to do it, obviously, because I want to be involved. But, you know, it's not even that it may be completely inaccessible to me so much as it, it becomes a, a matter of concern, right? For supervisors having to watch kids that are trying to get involved in a space that may not be entirely safe for them. It's a matter of liability a lot of times, which I, I don't know if that... Me on the path to law or not, maybe that's my like subconscious motivation. But you know, liability was a word I heard thrown around a lot in elementary school. And when I was like, Oh, I want to go do this, well, that wouldn't be that'd be a liability. Like, you know, we don't want to be responsible. And so, anyways, it's just great, it it gives peace of mind, hey, to, to parents and students alike.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, absolutely. I mean, just knowing as a parent that it's a safe space for Julia, but also for Julia, knowing that she won't have any barriers that, you know, she's going to have to get frustrated about while she's there. So it's it's just a win-win all around.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I want to get next to the process of how this came about, the steps that it took to make the plan happen, to get the funding, uh, everything that might be involved in a project like this. A, because I want people in the community to realize you know, how much work goes into it, and but also if they want to do something similar, some places that they might want to start, as well as just to talk a bit about how to make these processes go as smoothly as possible and really have success with them. Just before we get there, I'd like to mention to our audience that you are listening to Help Teach. We're going to take a short break here. And when we return, we'll be getting right to that topic of conversation on things gone right. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Help Teach. I'm having a conversation today with a community member from the city in which I also live. Her name is Melissa Grasmick. And we're just getting into this conversation about things gone right. And we were just talking about Julia's Junction, a fantastic project, accessible playground initiative that is coming to West Kelowna very shortly. Uh, I realized in the first half, we didn't actually mention that. When does the playground open up?
1: Mm -hmm. So it's it's actually under construction right now, which is very exciting to see things progressing up at the site. We will have it open sometime this summer. I don't necessarily (laughs) want to commit to a certain date because we all know how construction goes and (laughs) how delays happen as much as you try your, 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 very best to prevent them, but definitely sometime this summer, we will have it open and ready for the kids. Awesome. Mm-hmm.
0: So then let's get into the nitty gritty a little bit, shall we? What does it take to get an accessible playground for a municipality? I mean, we don't have time for all the details, but I would love to just talk a little bit about how do you start about making that plan? How did the presentation process go? Just all, all these aspects that, in a sense, not to be a negative Nancy, but could go wrong at any step, right? And I think that's what happens to a lot of people that are new to advocacy, especially is, you know, it's you don't realize just how many steps there are to a process like this and what might happen at any given pace. But uh, obviously, it went very well for you. So I'd love to hear a bit about that. How did this all mm-hmm. get started?
1: So I was actually at our little lo- local neighborhood uh, playground with my son, While Julia was at school and I was just noticing a few little tripping hazards around the playground and anyway got to talking with uh, a city staff from the parks department and anyway the conversation sort of morphed into the fact that there aren't any accessible playgrounds in West Kelowna and she said yeah you're right there aren't and I said well I wonder how I would go about changing that and so basically she gave me the name and number of the parks manager for the city of West Kelowna and I contacted him, you know, set up a meeting, just sort of wanted to get his take on my idea. But in the meantime, I had contacted a playground supplier and I was working with an inclusive play space designer from that playground supplier just to sort of come up with a little bit of a not a full-on design at that early stage, but just a few little ideas about what it would take to create such a space and a ballpark budget. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, any playground, but I think an inclusive playground, especially, they're very expensive. And so I did not know what I was in for with this fundraising campaign, let me tell you. (laughs) But um, anyway, so when I met with the parks manager, it was a conversation around basically that I would need to present to city council Mm -hmm. as a delegation. And so I had about two and a half months from that point to sort of prepare for that presentation. And um, in that time, we kind of fine-tuned The design also sourced out a lot of funding opportunities so that I could, again, approach City Council and share the problem, the inspiration, which of course is, you know, my Julia. But then also the solution. Here's what we plan to do. Here's how we're going to fundraise. Here's how we're going to design and plan this project. We need you as a city to partner with us and, you know, endorse the project, not only financially, but also just, you know, as a partnership, hmm. we want to use your land. Yeah, we want your partnership. And we wouldn't be able to do it without the support of the city. And they've been incredible.
0: Yeah, fantastic. And, you know, I've want to take this time to sort of flaunt the project a little bit because a lot of work did go into it you know if you the website will be linked in the episode notes of course so any guests that want to go and check out what this park looks like what went into it and if you scroll to the bottom of that page of that homepage, you'll see a list of sponsors and donors right and that goes on for a country mile and (laughs) there are two things that really strike me about that the first that it's just heartwarming to see so many people pulling through to support a project like this uh, and and to see the kind of community involvement that you can really generate with a project like this. But secondly, I mean, that takes a lot of work to reach out to all those people. And I want to turn it to that. We talked about this a little bit before, but would you say that that planning, that bringing a solution along with the problem you're, you're you've identified, would you say that was the biggest contributing factor to the, to the success of the project?
1: I think that was definitely a big part of it. Um, I think what happens a lot of times at these city council meetings, when people come to the city with a problem, they don't have a solution. Mm. They're just coming with the problem and expecting the city to, you know, provide a solution and the funding and, and, and. The fact that we came up with a solution and that we were willing to put in the work ourselves in partnership with the city, but not just putting it on the city, I think that made it an easy decision to mm-hmm. support the project.
0: Yeah, you were saying, I, I found this quite funny, but we were walking and you, and, and you mentioned to me, you know, once you come with the problem and the solution, who's going to say no? Like, what <laughs> <one laughs> council member is going to stand up and say, I don't want inclusive playgrounds for <laughs> for the kids in West Florida, yeah. right? So, yeah.
1: Exactly, exactly.
0: So, I just want to turn that then to... subject of education, because on the one hand, Mm -hmm. you know, I wanted to bring this project to the public because I think it's amazing. On the other hand, I think there's a lot of parallels that we can draw here. You mentioned in the beginning that your experience in school with Julia has been quite good. And we talked about the fact that part of that has to do with this mentality of advocating in partnership, you know, really trying to forge partnerships with whoever you're trying to get to include you and also coming with solutions to problems when you, when you do bring them up. So do you have an example maybe from your time in school of a, of a similar situation that, you know, that there was a problem you identified and then brought a a solution and got that through?
1: Yeah, it was actually early on um, in Julia's education. It was her first year of preschool, actually. Mm -hmm. So she was only three. She was just little, but the preschool every year did a Christmas concert. And Of course, I was still fairly new in the advocacy role that I, you know, that I have now come to be a rock star (laughs) at, (laughs) but in, in those early days, you know, you, you kind of just don't even know what you're going to come up against because it was still, you know, fairly new with her uh, diagnosis and everything like that. But anyway, they are planning for the Christmas concert and are telling me that, well, every year, this is how we've done it. The first row of kids at the front stands and then the second row behind them stands on a bench so that they have that tiered look. And I said, OK, but then what's going to happen is that Julia will be the only one sitting because she'll be sitting in her wheelchair mm. at the end. And I think that that may make her feel uncomfortable and just feel really excluded and um, segregated from the group. And it was just really interesting because it's kind of that cliche of, well, that's how we've always done it. (laughs) And I didn't get the most positive response at first. But then I think once the preschool teacher sort of went away, came back, had some time to think about it, you know, and then again with me saying, well, what if we did it this way? What if we had the first row of kids all sitting on, on a bench so that they could be sitting beside Julia? And then the second row of kids could just be standing on the floor behind them. So it all worked out that way, and they agreed that that would be um, a suitable way to do it. And I think it's just, if they haven't had to come up with those solutions, in this particular instance before, I think, you know, people don't know what they don't know. And it's just mm-hmm. sort of challenging them to expand their thought process a little bit, think outside the box.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that does characterize the advocacy journey in a lot of ways, right, is thinking outside the box. And uh I think mm-hmm. that that is... An interesting and positive Mm -hmm. spin on how you see advocacy. I think it can get very confrontational sometimes, especially when you think of it as a series of roadblocks, right? That are put in your way Mm -hmm. either intentionally or unintentionally that you have to jump over, break through. But it sort of inspires, I think, creativity to think about it as a series of boxes, you know, that people have constructed because that's what we do we make our systems the the way you know we think they will work best and being the kind of person that can step outside of that box and have a new idea and then bring it back and change the shape slowly of of this structure over time i think anything that we can do to make the process less about fighting someone and more about working together i think just makes it a lot smoother wouldn't you say
1: Oh, for sure. It doesn't have to be a negative experience. I think too, we just need to always keep an open mind. I mean, it's just like with any communication between any two people or two, you know, entities, you need to just try to appreciate and understand where that other person is coming from. And I think that's, you know, that's the key. And there's always going to be times where you'll come up against someone or something that's just not willing to think outside the box and not willing to work together and I hope that we don't encounter that with Julia's uh, education journey but I think it's inevitable at some point and I just need to I use the term kill them with kindness and (laughs) you know just (laughs) just really try to initiate and then really nurture those relationships with all of Julia's team members you know whether at school or elsewhere yeah so important
0: yeah absolutely as a sort of final point I wanted to touch on here before we get to wrapping up our episode. You also mentioned that the elementary school that Julia is currently at, uh, Marjok Elementary here in in West Kelowna, is quite good in terms of inclusion and, and accessibility. And I wonder if you would be willing to just give a couple of points as to why that is. Because a lot of the structure of this show and a lot of the structure of the conversation around accessibility takes the form of here's a series of problems. And as advocates who are trained to think creatively, here's a series of solutions, or maybe here's a bad example, here's how it could be better. But I really like to take this opportunity to say, here's a good example, what's working, what's going well. And I think that maybe that would give some good ideas to our our audience members as to what really helps someone who has this kind of unique educational journey to feel included and and accepted so do you have a couple of things that jump out at you as to what works really well right now
1: I really am just so impressed with the team at the school they really do have Julia's best interests at heart and I so appreciate that you know and again we won't always have those amazing people but that is incredibly helpful but the one thing that just jumps out is that I just try to be so proactive and so for example Julia started kindergarten in September of 2019, back in November of 2018, that's when I started having conversations with her school, with the school district physiotherapist, with you know whoever I could think of that may be able to help make this a smooth transition for her and to make sure that she had all of the resources that she needed. So I think just being as proactive mm-hmm as organized and as communicative as possible is really the key. Because if you leave things till the last minute, I mean, that's just a recipe for disaster in any context, <laughs> but especially here, I mean, a lot of things take time. yeah. And so just being as proactive as possible. And again, just really keeping an open mind. And I think not jumping to conclusions sort of climbing that ladder of frustration. If you do get a negative response at first and just, you know, okay, I understand you don't want to do it that way. How can we be creative and work together?
0: With that, I think that really takes us nicely into the key takeaway for the episode, which today is that as much as we want to offer suggestions for teachers, things that you can put into action right away, I think there's also some advice to be taken as to understanding the balance of effort between team members. Because if you do think about as a team, everyone has to pull their fair share, right? And so this is in part a suggestion for teachers and in part a suggestion for parents too, that if you come with a specific request as well as an action plan, things can go a lot more smoothly in the implementation process as we've been talking about teachers that are listening if you want to help facilitate this i want to encourage you not to be afraid to establish the boundaries that work for you as far as who takes what role in the you know inclusion process because as we've talked about a lot on this show, this isn't meant to be throwing the teachers under the bus and saying that, you know, you don't do good work. You're very busy. You A lot of you have great intentions, and it's just a matter of figuring out how to do this together in the time and with the resources that you have. So if you set those boundaries for yourself, if you say, okay, here's what I can do, for example, here's some tips I can implement, here's what I have already done. But if you have a specific request as a parent come with that action plan or as a teacher, encourage them to work either with you or to to think for themselves, what would their ideal solution look like so that when you come together and talk about it, you know, you all come with something to share. And I think that'll really help to, to smooth the process out. Um, not to be <laughs> a personal attack on our procrastinators in the audience, but uh, <laughs> if you want to plan a little bit ahead of time, I think it'll help everyone. Did you have anything else to add to that, Melissa?
1: Just again, everybody, you know, working together and for everybody to keep an open mind, Mm -hmm. just because you haven't necessarily come up against a certain obstacle or problem, whether as a parent or a teacher, keeping that open mind, right? I mean, that's what inclusion is all about. We just want to make every experience the best it can be for everyone. And that sometimes involves some creativity.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Absolutely. Or nothing if not creative, hey? (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Well, I want to thank you very much for coming on the show today, Melissa. It was great to talk to you. Audience members, please do check out Julia's Junction, linked in the episode description. You can check out the project, see what events they still have going on, and of course, uh, support them in their endeavors. And yeah, um, thank you again for coming on and sharing your insights. It was really great to talk to you.
1: Thank you for having me. And I really appreciate the opportunity to be able to share my experiences. And I hope that everyone else's can be as successful as mine have been. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. You've just heard another episode of the community audio project, Help Teach. I'd love to give a huge thank you to my other co-leads on this project, Peyton Given, Maggie Manning, Elise Doucette, and Alexis Holmgren, all youth leaders at the Rick Hansen Foundation, who I'd also like to thank for their continued support in this initiative and others. I'd like to give a huge shout out to our community mentor for this project, Charlotte Katsia. My name is Mihai Kavasser. I am your host, editor, and producer for this podcast series. You can now find all our transcripts, episode notes, and links to other resources on transistor.fm or listen to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. If you have any questions about the show, if you'd like to offer suggestions or you would like to be connected as a guest, you can now get in touch at helpteachpodcast at gmail.com. That's helpteachpodcast at gmail.com. Please send in any questions that you might have regarding our episodes, and we would love to address them in future ones. Tune in next time for more great conversations and key takeaways that you educators can implement in the classroom today to make it a more accessible and inclusive place for all. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time.